The Thrift Savings Plan has seen plenty of changes over the last year, but one of those updates has had perhaps a little less time in the spotlight. The new Mutual Fund window, which launched last summer, offers TSP participants 5,000 additional investment options. But now, a bill in Congress is threatening an early demise of the optional program. Federal News Network's Drew Freeman joins me with more. Drew, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Eric. So let's start with the basics. What is the Mutual Fund window and where did it come from? So, Eric, this was one of the many changes that the TSP saw last summer. So last June, we saw a new My Account, and we saw a rollover to a new Record Keeper. We saw a new TSP app. And then the mutual fund window, this is something that happened at the end of June 2022. Essentially, in 2009, Congress gave the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board the authority to create this mutual fund window. And basically, you opt in, you pay some fees, and at the end of the day, TSP participants can then choose from about 5,000 different mutual fund options to invest in. And this goes beyond the traditional funds that the TSP offers to participants. So currently, after about a year now that that program has been in operation, we've seen about 3,600 TSP participants enroll in the mutual fund window. That's out of 6.8 million participants total. And overall, it's ha- it's gotten a li- just a little over $200 million invested into the TSP mutual fund window out of roughly $750 billion in assets under management for TSP. So it's still a quite a small program, but this is something that, you know, they were trying to offer more investment options to TSP participants. And again, it's completely optional. All right. But now there's a new bill in Congress that looks to put the kibash on that option. Where did it come from and what would that bill do? So there is a policy rider in the um, one of the appropriations bills from the House Appropriations Committee, the Financial Services and General Government Bill. And essentially, they included language that's similar to the something called the new, No ESG and TSP Act. The bill was originally introduced in May by Republican uh, member Chip Roy. And the goal is, you know, as Republicans say, to prevent taxpayer dollars uh, in the TSP from going towards, quote, woke funds. But uh, basically what it would do is block funds from going towards any TSP mutual fund options that are based primarily on environmental, social or governance or ESG criteria. But the board has kind of come out and said that, you know, if that was the case, they would have to shut down the mutual fund window overall. And so what did the TSP board have as a response to this legislation? Were they supportive or do they think it's not a good idea? (laughs) So they have uh, publicly opposed this legislation. Basically, they, you know, as I just mentioned, they said it, they would basically be forced to close the mutual fund window entirely. Uh, ju- you know, it wouldn't necessarily impact all of the mutual funds available, but because there are five thousand of them, they've said it was it would be essentially too burdensome to kind of track every single one of those five thousand for ESG criteria. And then also potentially open them to legal exposure if there was an error of some sort. And uh, Director of External Affairs, Kim Weaver, at the TSP board said, essentially, there's no practical or cost-efficient way to monitor each of those funds. And the other part of the, the issue here for the board is that if the TSP had to discontinue the mutual fund window, they would have to pay additional money to unwind it. And those participants who have invested already in the mutual fund could also lose money returning their funds back to the traditional TSP funds. So there's a bit of a ripple effect here that we would see if this policy rider actually went through. 
We're speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman, and so many people have TSP accounts and are heavily well invested and interested in where the TSP money goes. What do good government organizations say about the mutual fund window idea? So there is definitely a positive response from some of these good government organizations about the mutual fund window and what it offers to TSP participants. So one of the most vocal about it has been the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association, or NARF. They're basically, you know, they've said that this is a really good thing for TSP participants to have. Of course, it's completely optional, but it just provides more diversity of investments. And NARF uh, leaders said they're urging the House Appropriations Committee to remove that policy rider, the No ESG and TSP Act. They said that, you know, one, it may not even achieve the desired effect. And because TSP participants, they wouldn't necessarily be prevented from investing in ESG funds. They would simply have to do it, move their money out of the TSP to do that. And then, you know, they have said it's it is just overall a good thing for to have the mutual fund window. It's easier for participants who want more options and it keeps administrative costs down for others who don't. And you've done your own bit of research on this topic as well. Federal News Network conducted a poll about participants experience with the mutual fund window. What were the results and what did you find out? So over the last week or so, we've received about 500 total votes. We put this up on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Reddit. And Reddit got the most response, but the results were pretty similar across the board. We saw about 80% of voters say that they did not think that the it was very important for the TSP to keep the mutual fund window open. And about 84% said that they didn't find the mutual fund window very valuable. So there's a bit of a negative connotation here with the mutual fund window based on comments and and the responses that we received in the polls the biggest issue is the associated fees and i'll kind of break that down there has to be to opt into the mutual fund window you have to make an initial transfer of at least ten thousand dollars and then on top of that you have a 55 dollar annual administrative fee a 95 dollar annual maintenance fee and then a $28.75 per trade fee. So there's a lot of different types of fees involved to get invested in the mutual fund window and get that all set up. So that's kind of where the biggest negative response is. Of course, that's not everyone. Some people, you know, if you're one of those 3,600 people who have opened an account in the mutual fund window, they've, you know, there is definitely a positive response in that sense. And, you know, it can help diversify investment options. But maybe it's worth the fees to to some and not others. Got it. All right. Well, Federal News Network's Drew Freeman. You can read her federal report at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981. 
and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role, even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people. Uh, and that's what I do. And I, and I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arena. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff. Okay. Uh, because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot and please understand, when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision. Right. And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that we rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on. Absolutely. Them. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we, and the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause and, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. 
You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this. And I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely casts the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, the, Describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It's it's needed. uh, And, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the deep South, you know, you you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice that whole approach because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest. Here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm I'm gonna have to elaborate on two. Yeah. If that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do. But integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay. I, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can it's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, 
Is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. That's just mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.